1 through 4. We're going to concentrate our attention here for a couple of weeks anyways. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life And and I want this to become familiar to you. Over the next several weeks, I want this to become four verses that you begin to really understand exactly what it is that God wants us to hear here. There's a lot of words. There's a lot of concepts that very often we can just read through this and it goes right over our head exactly what's being said. But let this become familiar to you. For the law. Of the Spirit. Now, this isn't a law like a a legal law. This is a law like a principle. Like the law of gravity. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free. This means the principle. The way the Spirit operates. This Spirit of life in His operations sets you free. Free. Again, we have these words, in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's critical. Because none of this happens except you're in Christ Jesus. And what does it set you free from? The law of sin and death. Again, the principle. The way sin and death works, which we saw the way sin and death works back in 7. And as we develop this whole thing, we'll look back at that. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could never do. And remember in Romans 7, there was a whole lot of law, but also a whole lot of sin. But now God comes along and does what the law, weakened by the flesh, could never do. And this He accomplished by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. What a statement. The Son in the likeness, the Holy Son, eternal Son of God came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. And why did He do all this? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And I stress that, it's in us, not for us. And we'll look at that whole concept. He did do it for us. But this is speaking about Him doing a work in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This morning, I want us to focus our attention on verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now guys, Suppose I sprint out that door right now and I go down the street as fast as I can and I hit the bus stop down at Hackberry and there's a guy standing there. You know, I catch this guy off guard. There he stands. I come running up to him. I grab him by the shoulders. I say, sir, and I'm crying out with joy 
There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Sir, did you hear what I said to you? There is no condemnation. None. To those who are in Christ Jesus. I think it's safe to assume the guy would not jump up and down for joy. I think we can accurately predict that he would not shout hallelujah. He would not be overly ecstatic that I just ran down the street to bring that message to him. You know, folks, it's more probable you would read about me in the morning paper tomorrow, right? I'd likely shoot me or run away thinking I'm a nut, right? But seriously, folks, Romans 8.1 and the truth contained therein that there is no condemnation in Christ is not likely to get a resounding applause from the men and women of San Antonio, Texas. It, never, it rarely does, folks. You see, the world largely does not care. But let me make one thing absolutely clear about this text. The cold, calloused response of this world to this truth doesn't change the fact that this is one of the greatest statements found anywhere in the Word of God. The world's apathy does not alter the reality that this is the greatest good news that has ever been proclaimed in the ears of fallen man. Listen, folks. We can stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon and we can just yawn with indifference. Right? And folks, I was just over in India. I stood in the foothills of the Himalayas. You can go stand and you can take in the breathtaking splendor of the mighty Himalayas and be unmoved. But I'll tell you, you can yawn, you can be unmoved, but I'll tell you what that does not do. It doesn't all of a sudden mean the Grand Canyon or the Himalayas have lost their glory and their magnificence simply because you respond that way. Rather, it's a reflection of the stupidity and ignorance and senselessness and blindness in us. The Grand Canyon and the Himalayan mountain range are noble. They are resplendent. And their glory is not in the least diminished by you responding that way. Folks, we are the ones being measured by our response. Not them. You see, it's the same with Romans 8.1. If a man doesn't jump up and down for joy at the reality that there is now no condemnation in Christ, it certainly isn't because this truth lacks a cause to jump up and down. Folks, if ever there was a truth to motivate us to jump for joy, it's this one. Listen, if you scrutinize this truth, you take it and you look at it and you examine it, And in the end of all of this, your judgment is that there just really isn't much here to get excited about. Listen, folks, you haven't judged this text. You've just judged yourself. 
Your lack of enthusiasm doesn't diminish the glory of this truth. It only explains you. May God help us to wake up to the glory here. May He cause us to really... We have to feel this. We have to taste it. We have to know it. Listen, if I come over to you right now and I don't know, I'll pick up a two by four or something somewhere and I come over to you and I walk up to you and bang, I hit you in the face with it. You're not going to say... You're not going to sit there and be unfazed by that. I, I don't think you're going to fall asleep right there. I mean, if your nose is smashed, you, you don't just shrug your shoulders and say, I didn't really feel that. Folks, your senses are going to be set on edge. Your eyes are going to be blurred. Your ears are going to be ringing. Your shattered nose is going to be crying out and wailing in agony. You're not likely to fall asleep. You are likely to take some notice. That's what needs to happen regarding condemnation. It needs to hit us so hard that the way you see is altered. The way you hear is changed. Folks, you need to feel the reality of condemnation before you will ever feel the reality of no condemnation. Before you'll ever realize it's the greatest news ever, folks, there is a Himalayan glory and majesty about Romans 8.1. I want you to put away your indifference, your stupidity, your blindness, and may God's grace makes this text glorious to each one of us. So, here is the question. If you're going to begin to fathom the depths of the glory wrapped up in these two words, no condemnation, we need to ask ourselves, what is this dreaded thing? Condemnation. What is condemnation? Folks, I hope nobody, nobody's here right now saying, oh, I came in here today looking for something practical. And you know, here you are hitting us with this condemnation stuff. Hey, I got some needs. And I came in here today and I was hoping to have them met. And it doesn't sound like you're getting on any subject right now that deals with me right with my practical problems. And I'm out here in this world and I came in here looking for some help. And look what you're doing. You're going to all this stuff. Listen, even if that's so, even if I'm not going to deal with whatever crisis might be happening in your life right now, I want you to know this. What I'm about to tell you is 10,000 times more practical and more helpful in your life than all those other things put together. And the reason is because this life is short. And any needs you have here are short. And eternity is long. And what I'm about to tell you has to do with that eternity. So give me your ear and listen now. Condemnation. What is this dreaded word? What is it behind the meaning of this that ought to scare us? 
that ought to make us afraid. What is it here? Listen. Listen carefully. I'll try to explain this. I'll try to explain condemnation and why you should be afraid. When a person is accused of a crime and judged in a court of law, there is typically one of two outcomes, right? I mean, typically when somebody goes to court and they're tried for a crime, they are either, on the one hand, found not guilty. In which case we say the person is innocent of the crime. He has been, and you guys will recognize this word, he has been what? What nice biblical word? Justified. He has been declared righteous with regards to this sin. The judge is declaring him to be without fault in this case. But, if on the other hand, the man is found guilty, we say the man has been convicted of the crime. Meaning the judge is declaring him responsible for the crime, which also means he is responsible for suffering any punishments associated with that crime. Now folks, it is just at this point we find the concept of condemnation. And what is it? It is to judge someone as definitely guilty and thus subject to the punishment for the crime of which they are guilty. Once declared guilty, the criminal is condemned. That is condemnation. He is condemned to endure every bit of suffering and retribution that his guilt demands. The state of condemnation is that state in which the convicted criminal is face to face with whatever unfavorable or adverse or harmful sentence the judge demands should be executed upon him. Now maybe you're saying to yourself, well sir, that's all interesting and everything, but I don't yet see that this is so terrifying as you have led us all to believe. And the reason you might be tempted to say so is because you haven't personalized this yet. It yet escapes you as to what the Bible says about condemnation. What the Bible says. I've just been giving you a general definition. But let me tell you what the Bible says not only about condemnation, but about your condemnation. The whole big different picture when I look at condemnation as my condemnation. I want to read a portion of a verse of God's Word. It's very simple. It's just six words. Just six words. But oh, may they ring in your ears. Six words. So basic, 
And yet most people don't really get it. What are they? You want to hear them? Ezekiel 18, verse 20. Six words. Listen to them. The soul who sins shall die. Not complicated, folks. The soul who sins shall die. You see, when you break one of God's laws, now notice, I did not say when you sin for 10 years. I've heard somebody say it like this before. It's not like you tell lies 20 times or 100 times and then a bell rings and you're a liar. Folks, the soul who sins dies. One sin. You break God's law one time. That's it. It's all over. You are condemned to death. God gives you no second chance. If you lie once, lust once, steal once, get drunk once, use the Lord's name as a profanity just once, dishonor your parents once, have a prideful thought once, love anything else more than you love God just once. It's all over. Condemnation is yours. There's no grace period. There's no making up for it by good behavior. There's no parole. There's no paying off the judge. And I would emphasize this. There is no mercy just because you are sorry. Or just because you promise not to do it again. The soul who sins shall die. Period. God has judged you already. This isn't like man's courtroom where we try men for crimes they committed sometime in the past. Maybe for a crime they got away with for years. In God's courtroom, the verdict is immediate. You sin, you are condemned. God immediately finds you guilty and you know you're guilty. You know it. Your sentence is the condemnation of death. Oh, I know you actually aren't dead yet, but the sentence of death and condemnation is actually upon you already. And folks, I am not talking about this death that the atheist likes to believe in. I'm not talking about his, his idea that you die, you're annihilated. You just go off into oblivion and your spirit just kind of harmoniously merges with nature. You know, huh? the Bible knows nothing of such foolishness. Nothing at all. Matthew 25, 46 calls this death. And hear this. Eternal punishment. Folks, 
The death of the Bible is not the cessation of existence. The death of the Bible is cessation of your life here. Of the mercies God extends to you here. Of enjoying food and drink and the sunrise here. But death is not the cessation of your existence. It is the cessation of all mercy to you. Oh, folks, this doesn't quite sound like eternal harmony with nature. Your condemnation for one sin is eternal punishment. You know your conscience screams at you with the reality that you are not just guilty of one sin. There is a load of iniquity on your shoulders. You know that. You know your conscience tells you. You know how many times you've sinned. Over and over, it's without number. It's staggering what this is. Vast ocean. And because you have your condemnation is the eternal fire that Matthew 25.41 speaks of. Your condemnation is the eternal destruction. Hear these words. Eternal destruction. Warned about in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. Your condemnation is to be tormented day and night forever and ever, says Revelation 20.10. This is not just condemnation generically. This is your condemnation. Folks, this isn't a situation where you can look at things and say, oh boy, I better get my life cleaned up. I sure don't want that to be my lot in life. I don't want to be condemned like that. Don't you hear what I'm saying? You are condemned already. It's not something you could try to fix your life right now and escape from this. This sentence hangs on your head now. God already declares this as a reality. Listen to this. John 3.18 says, You are condemned already. You say, I'm not in hell yet. That, that does not matter. You are condemned already. But you know, this is simply not how people think. Oh, how many people have this misguided notion that God is some big man upstairs. A lot like some celestial Santa Claus who looks down on them with this perpetual smile no matter how they live, no matter what they do. Folks, wicked men always want to think that God is too loving to condemn them. That is how this world loves to think about God. Look at a little baby in a manger. Look at a dead man on a cross. They like to see Christ as some effeminate, long-haired, Catholic representation of Christ. And listen, folks, the God of heaven is a God that condemns men for sin. Don't ever think God is just too loving. He's too gracious to send your soul to hell. The majority of mankind that have already lived on the face of this earth have found their lot in the pit of hell. It isn't because God isn't loving. The only fact that not all men are there is the great demonstration that God is love. But I'm telling you this, folks, your idea that you can just walk on in sin and God looks at you and just brushes this under the rug, you are sadly mistaken. The condemnation of God hangs over your head already. 
already. Now, let's think of this. Already. Don't picture God as some weepy-eyed, pathetic old man who has nothing but wonderful plans for your lives. Folks, you know what the Bible teaches us? John 3.36 Whoever does not obey the Son. Don't play games. Are you obeying Jesus Christ? I mean, are you doing what He says as a pattern of life? Are you reading the Word and doing what He says? If you're out there living in fornication, living in adultery, out there living your life of drugs and sex and alcohol and greed after money, full of pride, running around, living your life selfishly for yourself, folks, that is not a life that's in obedience to Jesus Christ. And what God's Word says is, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now hear that. That is a present tense verb. Abides. It doesn't say it will abide. It says it does abide. The wrath of God abides already on that person. Do you begin to see why you should fear The condemnation and wrath of God aren't simply something to fear in the future. It's something to dread now. Those of you who do not obey Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this condemnation rests on you already. The condemnation of the Bible is a damnatory sentence. It is a sentence of your impending doom. Just a lot of words so far. Maybe they're going over your head. But I'll tell you this. You are like the condemned murderer who sits on death row. Your sentence has already been declared. You're just waiting for the day they execute that sentence upon you. You know, just recently I was asked, why, why does God let all sorts of people die like in Katrina storms and that kind of thing? Folks, when you begin to realize you are standing in a world where the death sentence is already pronounced upon the sons of men all over this world. All the men we live in the midst of are on death row. Their condemnation has already been declared, folks. The wrath of God hangs over their head. And when a storm comes along and wipes them out, what really ought to amaze us is that God didn't blot out the whole world. Not that some died. They should have died. Their execution came. It was already expected. God already said, My wrath is upon you. You have been condemned already. And to to watch them die, then, you know, the world sits back and says, well, if God is in control of all things, why in the world would He let that happen? I'll tell you why He let that happen. He didn't let that happen. He caused it to happen. Because He finally executed judgment on those who are guilty of violating His law. They have sinned against the holy God and trampled on His glory. And He has executed judgment. If God did not do that, God would not be righteous. God is righteous. Away with your thoughts about the love of God and the mercies of God if you throw His justice out the window. He is those things, but He is just as well. And a just God must punish sin. 
Oh, folks. Damnatory. Damnatory. Now listen. Almost every man that hears of the condemnation of God against sinners flatters himself with the thinking that he is going to escape that condemnation. Some of you have devised a scheme whereby you plan to escape condemnation. You're depending on something. You're depending on yourself. You're depending on your own tactics. You're depending on some prayer. You depend on some baptism, some church attendance, the fact you own a Bible, some charm you have in your pocket or around your neck. You're flat. You, you, you know, men will flatter themselves with the things they've done, with what they're now doing. They, sense, they want to comfort themselves with what they plan to do in the future. I'm going to get my, right, my life right. I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to do this. Men feel secure. They flatter themselves. Everyone figures in his own mind, somehow he's going to escape this damnation. But I'll tell you this, Christ teaches that the majority of men end up damned. Have you ever heard that? Few there be that find it. I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ teaches that the majority of mankind that have already lived upon the face of this earth and the majority of mankind that lives here right now will not escape damnation. And yet you have connived some scheme whereby you think you're going to outwit all these other people and you're going to outwit what God Himself says and somehow you're going to escape it. No, you know, we go out on these streets. You living in sin? Yep, living in sin. You like your crack? Yep, I like your crack. You like your sex? Yep, I like my sex. You're going to go to heaven? Yeah, I think I'm going to go to heaven. Why? Well, because at heart, I'm basically a pretty good person. You just told me you're an adulterous, fornicating liar. You're a thief. You're a drug addict. And you're telling me you're on your way to heaven. It's phenomenal. And yet men, with all their sins staring them right in their face, come up with these plans and these schemes that somehow, some way, they are going to be the ones that are going to escape condemnation. So you can quote Bible verses and you expect to escape. You say you believe in God and that's how you hope to escape. You know, it is phenomenal how many people walk through this door or we go out into these streets and they tell us they believe in God or they believe this stuff. They, they believe in Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 2.12 because I want to tell you something about the condemnation of God and about your faith. 2 Thessalonians 2.12 If you don't have a Bible, you can listen to me. If you've got one, please find the text. I want to give you time to find it because this is such an important truth. I want you to read it with your own eyes. I want the reality of this like that two by four folks hitting you on the nose. I want this to hit you. Chapter 2, verse 12. Now listen to this. Notice what this says. God makes certain 
that all may be condemned. Now he's going to tell us who these all are who are going to be condemned. But God sends delusion. He makes certain that men are going to be condemned. And listen to this. All may be condemned. Who is going to be condemned? Those who did not believe the truth. Well, wait a second, Pastor. I believe the truth. Oh, now you just hold on a second. You didn't finish that verse. Finish it. Who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see, but I do believe. I believe in Jesus. You stop right there. Whatever faith you may have, Whatever you say you believe about Jesus or about God means nothing if you take pleasure in unrighteousness. Don't you dare come in this place and tell us about your faith if you take pleasure in unrighteousness. Don't you dare tell us about your faith if you spent last night fornicating or drinking yourself drunk, don't you tell us about your faith. You who can sit in front of a television and watch garbage, the things that God hates, and delight in it, don't you dare tell us about your faith. There is a faith, folks, that the Bible describes as a dead faith, and it can't save you. Just because you believe there is a God, you do well. The demons believe there is a God, folks. Listen to me. Who is God going to condemn? He's going to condemn every single person who takes delight in backstabbing other people through gossip. He is going to condemn every person who loves and delights to tell a lie. He's going to damn you. If you take delight and pleasure in filthy, dirty jokes, you're headed to condemnation. You say, yeah, I watch these things on TV, but it's, it's just entertainment. Yeah, you're right. It's entertainment. It's the entertainment of the damned. Don't deceive yourselves. Please don't deceive yourselves. This text screams of a reality that should make you afraid. You who practice and delight in unrighteousness, terror should strike deep within you if these things are true. Listen, folks, this condemnation is no slap on the wrist. This is no light matter here. All of you who take pleasure in unrighteousness, listen up. I want to describe your condemnation for you. I want you to get a glimpse of the horror that will one day seize you body and soul forever. Your condemnation will consist... Now listen to this. Of Almighty God inflicting wrath without any pity. When God beholds you suffering under His wrath and you are in exquisite 
pain and unspeakable agony. And God looks and sees you being ground under His foot by His wrath in this torment. Far beyond any strength you have to bear this, when He sees how your poor soul is crushed and sinks down into infinite gloom, He will have no compassion for you. This is the day of compassion. This is the day of salvation. When your condemnation once falls upon you and you're already condemned, and once that execution is taken out, this God who pours out water on your thirsty tongue and food in your hungry belly will withhold every mercy forevermore. He will have no compassion. He will not hold back or diminish the execution of His condemnation for even a moment. He will never in the least lighten His hand upon you. There will be no mercy but misery, misery, misery. He will have no regard for your welfare. He will freely pour upon your head every ounce of wrath that justice requires. It is impossible to even conceive of words that can portray the hatred and fierceness of the indignation of God against those who are condemned. Once in hell, if you cry to God to pity you, He will be so far from pitying you in your wretchedness or showing you the least regard or favor. And instead of pity, He will only tread you under His foot all the more. Though He will know you cannot bear the weight of omnipotence, treading upon you. He won't regard you. He won't regard your cries. He will crush you underfoot anyway without any leniency whatsoever. And here, folks, here it is. Here is the ultimate horror of this condemnation. Consider what it will be to suffer that extreme torment forever and forever. You will suffer it forever, day and night, from year to year, from one age to another, from one thousand ages to another, in pain. I'm telling you how Jesus Christ describes condemnation. It's punishment. It's eternal. There's pain. There's wailing. There's gnashing of teeth. There is such dreadful horror, the shrieking. There will be such things as we cannot comprehend. Your soul will be full of the most dreadful grief, in horror, your body will seethe with pain from unbearable torture without any possibility of ever getting ease. Without any possibility of moving God to pity you by your cries. Without any possibility of hiding yourself from Him. Without any possibility of diverting your thoughts from your pain. Consider how dreadful that despair will be. Such torment. Listen, folks, if this weren't so, I would tell you, but it is so. Jesus Christ, of all the biblical writers or speakers, 
told us more about the reality of this than all the others put together. You will know of a certainty that you will never, never be delivered. I mean, one of the greatest tortures of hell is the eternity of it all, the hopelessness of it all. You will have no hope after you have worn out the age of the sun and the moon and the stars. There will be no hope. After you've worn out thousands of ages, no hope. Forever and always there will be the same groans, the same shrieks, your same agonizing cries. The smoke of your torment will go up forever and ever. The more the damned in hell think of the eternity of their condemnation, the more horrifying it will be to them. And for all that, they will never be able to keep it out of their thoughts. Eternity, eternity, eternity will flash everywhere. It's written everywhere in hell. It is forever. Utter hopelessness. Your pain will only cause you to think all the more on it about eternity. Listen. I'll tell you this, the damned in hell have two infinites that they have to deal with forever and ever. The two infinites that stare them and glare them in the face is one, the infinite God, the infinite Lamb of God, who is your perfect enemy and will hate you with a perfect hatred. And the eternity of the wrath that He will pour upon you forever and ever. And those two eternities, those two infinites will stare you in the face. I'm telling you this, folks. This is real. This is your condemnation. Do you begin to realize when we can say and proclaim to you, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you felt the true force of this, some of you would come out of your seats right now. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But hear what I'm saying and take note of what I'm not saying. I am not saying there is no condemnation for everybody in this room. I'm saying there is no Condemnation only for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some are in Him and some are not. Paul assumes that everywhere in his writings. There are those in Christ, there are those outside. The opposite of the precious phrase that we find here in Romans 8, 1, in Christ, is that terrible phrase from Ephesians 2, 12. Separated from Christ. I ask you this. Where are you? Don't hide behind your plans. Don't be hide behind your empty hopes. Don't hide behind your schemes. There's only one place you can hide from the wrath of God. 
It's in Christ. Brethren, those of us in here that are in Christ, we can lift up and say, thank you, dear Jesus, that you took us into yourself. I mean, folks, there is no greater reason, there is no greater hope, there is no greater truth in all the world that there is such a place as being in Christ. And that some of us are even there. We're in there. We're safe. But I ask you, where are you? Because listen, there's only one place there is no condemnation. Only one. You've got to be in Him. Are you under condemnation? Or are you in Christ? Remember this. You are under condemnation if you take pleasure in unrighteousness. You don't have to look far, folks. You know what's going on in here. You know what sin brings you delight. If any sin at all is bringing you delight, you're in a bad place. You should be afraid. There's only one place where we can say, No condemnation now I dread. Folks, there's only one place. It's in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I hear what you're saying. I hear. I know that condemnation. It's a, I'm, I'm there. But I don't know how to get in Christ. I don't know how to get there. Tell me. Help me. I will. Jesus Christ says, come. If you want to be in Christ, you come. That's simply what He says. Come. Listen to this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, this comes right out of Revelation 22.17. The Holy Spirit of God says, come. The Spirit of God Himself bids you, sinner, come. Don't scheme all your plans of fixing your life. For all that, you're still under condemnation. The Spirit of God says to you, sinner, come to Christ. And the bride, the church of Jesus Christ, we, the brethren in here, say, come. And Jesus Christ Himself says, let the one who hears say, come. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if you hear me today, say to yourself, come. And Christ says, let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take of the water of life without price. Do you desire to come? Then come. You see... It doesn't take acrobatics here. It doesn't take your own efforts. And you don't have to weep a certain amount of tears. Or, you know, folks, there's no formula here. You only have one hope. There's only one. And it's in Christ. And He says, come. 
And you say, well, what if I don't come? Well, let me tell you what happens. John 3.36 says that you, if you believe in the Son, you have eternal life. If you don't come, if you don't obey, when He bids you come, those who do not obey the Son, the wrath of God is upon them. Folks, Christ says, come, enter, drink, call. And if you do, there's no condemnation. So where are you? In Christ? Out of Christ. My friend, you can be wrong about a lot of things and they don't matter. There is one thing in all of life that matters more than anything else. You do not want to be wrong about this. Don't you go forward on some baseless hope that will be found to be sand in that day. There's only one rock that will protect you from the fiery wrath of God. In that day, judgment day, if you are not found in Christ, you will be found to be in great trouble. If you are not in Christ, you are already in trouble because you are already condemned. It's free. He bids you, sinner, come drink from me without price. You don't have to come with any money. You just call upon Him right where you sit. You cry unto Him until He with His Spirit gives you that assurance that you are in Christ. And the Spirit of God does that. You say, I don't know if I'm in or I'm out. And you call upon Jesus Christ until you know you're in. You say, how will I know? You will know. You will know. This Christianity thing is real. And when it comes upon your head, you know. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed. Well, let me, I'll let me...